0: Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life
1: and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life.
2: Okay, good morning. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I'm Rick Highland. I have two special guests on the line today. We're going to talk about various... Issues and opportunities around economic development, nonprofits, and a lot of other interesting topics. So, Bo Kemp and Rick Rowland, welcome to the CI for Life podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having us, Rick.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Awesome to have you on today. So, why don't I, before we jump into the topics as announced, why don't I let you both give a little bit of background and insight, uh, let the listeners give a little into insight into you. Bo, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. Um, My name is Bo Kemp. Just a quick 30-second commercial on me. Um, I have an unusual background for the work that I do today. I started my career after graduating from Yale undergrad at Harvard Business School uh, in private equity and uh, M&A at Morgan Stanley. I also spent a large part of my career as an entrepreneur, having raised capital for my own businesses to the tune of about $100 million dollars. And for the last 15 years, give or take, I've actually been working with municipal governments around the country, starting with my first work where I was uh, the person who worked to do the transition for Cory Booker when he became mayor of Newark. I ran the city of Newark with him for his first two years in office and since then have done work around the country from Gary, Indiana, New Orleans, Tampa, uh, all the way out to the West Coast. Uh, working on issues related to economic development, and now focused on the suburbs of Chicago, the Southland area of Chicago.
2: Awesome. What a background, though. Well, welcome. Uh, Rick Roland. Uh, can you meet or match that? I cannot, I cannot <laughs> match or meet that one. Um,
0: Rick Rowland, I'm a team lead for an organization called RLG International. Um, we do performance improvement uh, around the world. I've been working with this group for about 14 years, uh, before that an entrepreneurial background and uh, my education was international business. Uh, And so I've I've explored that globally through RLG and I've had the unique opportunity to apply this performance improvement mentality uh, to be a part of the SDA team.
2: Awesome. And Rick just mentioned some of the places around the world that you and your family have lived in the last (laughs) 15 years.
0: Oh, uh, we've lived in uh, Europe, in the Netherlands. We lived in India for a little while. We've lived in Australia, New Zealand, um, and then worked around Africa in, in the oil and gas industry.
2: Awesome. Well, it's just a pleasure to have you both on today. And this is an important topic, obviously, economic development, nonprofits, etc. cetera. And so I'm intrigued and uh, looking forward to getting your insights uh, on both the issues and the opportunity, but um, uh, Bo, why don't you tell me a little bit more about SDA and what the mandate is and what you're trying to do and and maybe what makes it unique in its cause and approach?
1: Sure, sure. So the SDA is the government acronym for the Southland Development Authority. Um, It's a new not-for-profit organization that was founded in 2019, in November, December of 2019. Um, after a couple of years of uh, being part of a team who analyzed the economic development organizations that were founded around the country and who kind of had best practices, looking at everything from Philadelphia, to, which was the very first economic development corporation in the country, uh, to uh, the cities of Kansas City, Cincinnati, and other places. We formed this organization for the purposes of helping to aggregate, and promote economic development among the 45 cities and villages that sit right outside of the city limits of the city of Chicago, but comprise most of Cook County, a little bit of Will County, which are two bordering counties um, of the city of Chicago, um, and again, have the 45 cities and municipalities that are in that group. And our effort is to not only bring businesses to those areas, which is pretty similar to all economic development organizations, retain the businesses that are there, but to expressly help grow these businesses. And one of the things that's a little different um, about the Southland area is despite its proximity to Chicago and some of the assets that reside directly in this location, Most of the transportation logistics distribution traffic in the United States, literally 60% of every cargo container you see goes through the Southland area. There's still been a long history of underinvestment in this space. And so you've got pockets of population that have really struggled with economic development for decades, Uh, despite the natural assets, its proximity to Uh, Chicago and access to a lot of the assets that encompass the entire Chicago area. And so our efforts are really to figure out how to turn that around from a vicious cycle of disinvestment to a virtuous cycle of increased and accelerating growth for businesses in the area. Wow,
2: what a challenge. And so what are the biggest challenges in doing that in both bringing business and helping grow business? What, What are the difficulties involved?
1: You know, the Southland is not, it's unique in its own respects, but the challenges around the Southland are not unique. You know, a lot of places that had been long-term, what we call legacy cities or legacy regions, where they have been strong industrial leaders at some point, but have had that disinvestment that basically came from the 70s and 80s, share kind of a lot of similar characteristics and issues. And frankly, often the biggest issue In overcoming these challenges is as much a mental issue and a perception issue as it is a real fundamental issue, and that is helping people really appreciate the natural assets that are here, not only the physical assets, which include you know the rail and the transportation that's critical. You know, from where we are, you're two and a half days at most from anywhere in the continental United States. Um, and accessible to the entirety of North America. But it's also the kind of, I'll call it non physical assets that are really important to people. You know, we have a skill set of the people that live in the Southland that is somewhat unique in the sense that this is a place where people have traditionally made things. People have actual skill sets that are applicable to the development of product. And I think we're actually right at the precipice when the pandemic has really highlighted the need for us to have a more balanced approach in our country about what's made here in the United States versus other places where people who have access to the transportation and have the skill sets of our people are going to really be needed to reinvigorate that manufacturing uh, society that really drove a lot of the growth of our country so i think we're poised for a real uh, upside over the course of the next decade
2: yeah well uh, just to uh, no, i hope this isn't a sidetrack but if you look at from an investment point of view and a jobs point of view, how important it is, but yet the, I guess the headwinds are, you know, everything that's happening in uh, the green economy, everything that's happening in electronic vehicles and every uh, alternate power and, and that whole space from an investment, those, those stocks and companies have been on fire And yet we know that also industrial jobs are important. So uh, I'm sure you guys deal with this from maybe a PR point of view or, or uh, like you say, a mindset or perception point of view. How do you, how do you communicate the importance of the industrial job versus, you know, the massive uh, uh, tailwind around EV and, and uh, some of the other jobs with uh, the green economy?
1: You know, By and large, we don't find these things to be mutually exclusive. You know, the move towards a more um, environmentally friendly, um, you know, workforce manufacturing based broader economy is actually something that's really important to a lot of the people that live in the Southland. In almost any location in the country where you'll have these kind of legacy cities, old school manufacturing um, that has been depleted over time you'll also find the biggest violations of of environmental kind of uh, uh, preparation and readiness. And so those communities are actually, in many cases, the ones who are screaming as much as anyone to make sure that you do manufacturing in a clean way, that you think about the environment in a way that helps them coexist in the locations that there are. Um, and so I don't find these things to be really in contradiction or mutually exclusive, and just you know, from a, a practical standpoint, um, trucking, uh, rail uh, is still and and boat um, are still some of the most effective ways to transport goods and materials around the country. And because these assets already exist in the location where we are, we think we're poised to actually figure out the most environmentally effective and friendly ways of doing this on a going forward basis. Mm, Great answer. Well said. So
2: let's jump into a little bit of how and then maybe I'll ask Rick for some support here too. But at RLG International, we're fascinated with the how, of course, and not the what and why are extremely important, but a lot of people have that nailed. But it's all about, okay, how do we really make a difference? How do we execute to both bring business and grow business in uh, these municipalities uh, for economic development, not just in Chicago, but all around the country. So, uh, Bo, maybe you can go first and then I'll ask Rick, but can you articulate uh, some hows and what you're doing to make the difference?
1: You know, um, we've really had to be responsive to the environment. Um, And in this case, I don't mean the environment in terms of, you know, wind, water, uh, and air. I really mean the environment, the economic environment. And so, although when we launched our not-for-profit in 2019, where I served initially as the co-chair and have recently become the CEO, um, I, we were focused really on a more traditional way of trying to help the economy by attracting and retaining businesses. The pandemic forced us to have to think differently. And what it forced us to do is something, frankly, that I think more economic development organizations should be doing, which is talking directly to the businesses that exist and are operating in its environment. And so we pivoted and spent about 80 to 90% of our time literally reaching out to 10,000 businesses, engaging with 400 of those businesses directly, and doing a deep mentoring and advisory work with about 125 of those businesses over the course of 2020, all designed to really do two things first, to make sure that those businesses also could figure out how to pivot to address what their needs were to stay afloat during this pandemic and the economic downturn. But secondly, and equally important, maybe arguably even more important, how do they position themselves for growth in this new kind of world that we're living in with the pandemic and what we expect the post-pandemic economic environment to be, um, you know, in the next hopefully year or so. Um, And being able to focus on the kind of the day-to-day work has really made a difference. So bringing to bear the assets of our professional services that are part of the ecosystem already, but in many cases, our small businesses, and even in some cases, our medium-sized businesses, had not been connected to was a lot of what we did. So it meant bringing designers, architects, accountants, lawyers, Other people who had subject matter expertise around specific industries like metals and manufacturing, transportation, restaurants, and hotels. We brought all those people together as part of this ecosystem. We actually uh, created a pipeline of businesses that were in need of mentors and services in each of these different categories and aspects, and then connected them um, and helped to offset the cost of a lot of that work so that our small businesses really had expertise and and people that could help them in that transition period. And so that's been a core part of the how, and frankly, RLG has been a godsend um, and absolutely wonderful in that process. We started kind of in a makeshift way in the beginning and really needed to formalize something very quickly so that we could address all of our needs. And this is probably a good way to segue to, uh, to you, um, Rick, and to talk a lot about how you guys came in and really helped us in this process. Please, Rick?
0: Sure. I just, just before I get into our role and, and how, we, how we jumped in to help, I want to touch on what, on what Bo was just talking about because I think that alongside the depth of the relationship that we're building and the depth of that support that we were giving these small businesses, small to medium sized businesses, um, there was an equal benefit in building that network of mentors. So we did that through that partnership with community leaders and those specialists who really knew food production or metals or whatever it was, uh, restaurants and whatever those companies needed. We were helping those small business owners. But at the same time, uh, I think that there's an incredible strength that the Southland Development Group is or authority is getting from the relationship and the network that we've built of these mentors. It's helped these mentors establish themselves further. Uh, it has provided, a, you know, a financial boon to them or, or a lifeline to them to some extent. Uh, and so I think that that uh, network that we've built with those, with those community leaders and specialists has been not only good for the small businesses, not only good for Southland, but good for the, that network of mentors as well.
2: Win win, love it.
0: Yeah, the uh, so we came in in early October. We were introduced through somebody on the board, and 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 what we really saw was a heavily aspirational mentality. Uh, the reporting that we saw was here is what we're going to do. Throughout though, the organization had done a whole lot and was about nine months into their life. Still, all of the conversation was around we're gonna. Uh, So the first thing that we jumped into was bringing some visualization around, okay, what exactly is the process? How do we help a small company from the moment that they call? How do we help get that from that initial phone call to you are aligned with a mentor and you're off and running and focused on helping your business? What we saw is it took anywhere from 14 to 28 days for for that process to work through. And that was unacceptable. They were, the companies, the the small business owners were losing interest. Um, they were feeling like, oh yes, this is yet another group who's making big promises but not following through. And so we drew out, we workshoped and drew out the process um, and built ourselves a process map of what it is right now and what we think it could be. And so we got that process down from. 16, 17 days down to seven. And in actuality, just oh. in simply building that process map out, about two-thirds of our new our clients who started going through this would actually get through it in two or three days. Um, the, the process map gave us a lot of buffer here to have that phone call or to allow them to call us back. But we actually found that uh, we quickly got under that seven days uh, simply by our relationship managers, our team, our mentors, uh, see, having that visualized in their mind, knowing what the next step was, knowing what the handoffs were, uh, to keep that to get that client into a relationship with the mentor as quickly as possible. Uh, another part, an integral part that we saw when we came in is that the Southland Development had engaged with Salesforce, uh, had a CRM available to them, but everybody was. Uh, going, still going about things their own way, um, whether it is using Excel or wh- whether it is writing things on sticky notes. We hadn't really fully engaged the, that uh, customer relationship management tool. And part of that was the design of it. You know, We had just taken what they had given us and were are trying to wedge our problem into Salesforce's solution. Uh, very quickly we realized that we could tailor that towards our process. So we rebuilt the CRM to match that process map that we had developed. By doing so, everyone in the organization could quickly see exactly where each client was and where the holdups were. You know, where, where do we need to pay some attention to break loose uh, the, the delays that we were seeing? Uh, we quickly built into what we call in RLG business reviews, uh, we had a um, much more of a management by committee Friday meeting, and we turned that into an accountability review and a look at our business to say where are we strong, where do we need to focus more attention. And then finally, uh, we took that whole management by committee approach, which was really powerful and effective in the startup phase. I don't want to I don't want to diminish that. While we were starting up or before our time, that organization was trying to figure out. Uh, you had you know eight people doing 30 people's worth of work. And so they were working really well as a group and trying to uh, get this thing up and off the ground. But by the time I came in, that startup phase was by all intents and purposes over. And so it was time for us to build out roles and responsibilities, give each person, here's what you need to do, here's what you're accountable for, go do it. And then come back and tell us whether you're done or, we check out it by the time you said you would. So we assigned roles and responsibilities. We eliminated the management by committee, and that really, I think, was a turning point for the people in our team to say to have the faith and and trust that okay, I've got my I've got my role, and I can go do it, and I can do it as well as I can. We've gotten a lot more uh, unique and powerful ideas from the team, and the willingness to just run off to go run off and do it. And then come back and report. Here's how it's going. Here's what is going well, and here's where I need help. So I Mm -hmm. think those are really the key elements in jumping in there that uh, we saw that allowed us in the end of 2020 to uh, uh, give a turbo boost to the aid we were uh, and the and the partnership we had with the Southland.
2: Oh, I love this. So what I'm hearing, uh, gentlemen, so far is really three key points. And I'm I'm dying to know what the feedback has been so far from the municipalities and or the small businesses themselves, because we all know in COVID how critical uh, many of our small businesses are as far as life support um, and need of support. But I'm hearing three key points. One is talking to the customer and really engaging with them up front in 2022. Is this idea of mentoring and advisory work and matching up and and helping and supporting and not just saying you need to get better or I hope you get better, (laughs) but actually helping them to get better. And then as Rick has articulated, there really working on the efficiency and effectiveness of the execution of the program. All three things critically important to any change initiative. So um, A, did I capture that right? Would you add anything? And I'm also really interested to find out what kind of feedback is coming so far from the customers. Uh,
1: this is Bo. I, I do think you you captured it right. I would highlight a couple of things that you said okay. um, that might actually be part of a conversation to have a little bit later, which is, you know, <clears throat> in order for us to address the kind of obstacles that stand in the way of getting buy-in from not only the municipalities, but also from the individual businesses, this whole issue about our effectiveness was a really critical aspect. And so the work that RLG did to help us map out this process, to keep us disciplined in the use of CRM so that we could actually, as an organization, always be attuned to what the needs are of any individual business that's reaching out to us, that level of effectiveness really was the thing that got us over the first hurdle, which is, you know, are you going to be like everyone else who promises us something, but doesn't really come through. So I just, I wanted to take a second and reiterate what was already said um, and try to tie it to what's critical in our efforts in building. This as a new organization proving ourselves. And I think, you know, as a result, we've been able to actually build more support, Not only from individual businesses, and we've got tons of testimonials of businesses, but starting to get that support from municipalities, from the county, from the state, but also from other not-for-profit organizations, some of whom have now looked to partner with us, some of whom have expanded their partnerships with us as a result of our effectiveness. And some of whom are now looking to help fund us um, so that we can do wow. more of the work that we're doing. And I think that really stands as the most important testimonial um, you know, to the kind of success that we've had uh, today. Mm, well said, yeah. I love that whole idea
2: of trust building, right? Is, is that you're delivering on your commitments and that really garners more trust and support, uh, and engagement, and buy-in, and all those things that we're always after. Rick, would okay. you add any el- anything else to the question of the feedback and response from uh, both businesses and uh, uh, government organizations?
0: I'll start off with the feedback from the community. The you know an example of uh, one of our prouder accomplishments in 2020 is the Dardor Medical Clinic, um, Salt Village. Is an area that was a bit of a desert as far as medical support. There was no hospital. There's no um, there are no clinics in the area, and so we've been working and continue to work with uh, the doctor who is putting that together. Um, and it has developed, built a clinic. We've to from the point of working with architects, pulling in. Um, working with them on the permits, working with them on what they need to do to establish that clinic in Sauk Village. And they now have a working clinic that they are expanding um, and able to access more funding elsewhere to be able to medically support that community. I think that is one of the examples of uh, one of those examples that make us go home and sleep a really good night's sleep. Uh, It's it's really exciting. Great and to then we're in. building a stronger and stronger partnership with, with uh, Cook County, both directly with the county and with some of their other nonprofits who, who organize where the funding goes and where the, where the focus needs to be. And they are recognizing the value that they're getting from the Southland Development Authority and for the Southland and how important that is to make sure that they support this community outside of Chicago itself.
2: Yeah. Well said. Love a success story uh, thrown in there as well. So let me uh, um, try to uh, wrap up this and thank you very much uh, for your contributions to this very important area. But, and I really uh, don't know as much about this topic as I would like to. So this is one of the reasons I wanted you on today, but assuming that some of the other uh, municipalities and uh, associations are not this far advanced. or what advice would you give to let's try to get this to scale now and imagine that we're building these partnerships of trust in helping small businesses in the municipalities around the country? And uh, Bo, it sounds like you've you've done uh, in your past done that with several different municipalities. So what have you learned? and what advice do we have for uh, those that might be listening that are, Trying to do the same thing in their municipalities or their economic development regions?
1: Well, you know, one thing Rick and I had had this conversation, you know, I didn't go to school or train to do the type of work that I do today. I had been very focused principally on private sector work, but having now had the benefit of both working in the public sector and the private sector at scale. Um, I've learned a few things in this regards. And this issue of perception is always an important one. That's true in all business, but it's particularly true in government because there's been this ethos developed that government really can't do anything to help you, except you realize government is totally important when things are really chaotic. (laughs) Effectiveness is the most important thing that Mm -hmm. you focus on when you are in the public sector. Um, And when you are in the private sector, we spend most of our time focused on efficiency, right. right? So we idealize profit over the product or anything else. And we make an assumption that the product or service that we provide is what leads to the ef- pro- the, the effectiveness of that product leads to the profitability and efficiency. And you need both to be successful. Ideally, in public sector, you, you want both, but it's far more important to be effective. It's far more important for us to create uh, something like the Dardor Center when it doesn't exist because of the rippling impacts that it has. It's far more important that we effectively are pushing people through our process so that we can get them the help that they need to save their businesses, even more so than just simply being efficient in the process. The two things aren't contradictory to one another. Without the efficiency that we got from RLG, we couldn't have actually demonstrated our capacity to provide that effectiveness. But when you're on the public sector side, you really have to be focused on that effectiveness aspect. And I would just counsel for those people who've never worked in the public sector, I did. I felt this way too. It was easy to believe that everyone there was kind of inefficient and not being thoughtful and maybe not the best in class. Frankly, the kinds of problems that we deal with in the public sector are far more complicated than most corporate leaders deal with in the private sector. Um, It just is because of the nature of all the stakeholders and the things that you have to be worried about in order to be able to um, kind of have that fiduciary responsibility to the broader public. And I would just encourage your listeners that are in the private sector, spend some time as Rick has had a chance, helping those organizations that are in the public sector become more efficient and effective. And I think you'll get the benefit of learning some things in the process as well.
2: Yeah. And before I ask, Rick, well, why don't you just mention uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more?
1: So um, you can go to our website, which is SouthlandDevelopment.org spelled out. And you can reach me directly at beau, Bo dot O.kemp, K-E, M is Mary, P is and Peter at Southland Development.org uh, is my email. Awesome, Bo. And, and
2: it's very privileged to meet you and have you on today. And I love your closing comment around efficiency and effectiveness, because you really have a chance to impact it sounds like ten thousand businesses up to and uh, if you're effective, that ha- that has huge leverage and ripple effects. So, Mr. Roland, do you ever get the last word? But you have it here today. Any other uh, any other well, insights and advice? And and where can people find you?
0: Um. So I just want to start off by saying that simplicity of Bo's formula of effectiveness over efficiency is something I'm going to take with me forever. Um, mm-hmm. I've felt it, but I've never had it so clearly walked through, and I absolutely love it. Um, so, I thanks to the world to you, Bo, for for putting it so simply and elegantly. Um, the The other thing that was a big learning for me, or the, there, it continues to be a learning for us in the Southland, and that I would share in this is the the idea of it got drummed into my head the idea of helping or assistance. And we've been trying to avoid being, categorizing what we're doing as we're here to assist or help. Uh, we're, we're working on using words like partnership and uh, working along, just showing that we're working alongside this this community. Uh, and, a, and an element of that in the Southland Development Group has been the, the way that we assigned mentors. This, this is an example that I would cite that we are learning from right now. We had a team that would look at the company, look at the mentor and make a match. And we are now partnering with a group called Discover a Mentor. It's a new platform that's starting up to put that agency in the hand of, the, of those clients, of those business owners. Maybe we recommend two or three to say, we think that some of these would be a good fit, but ultimately giving that ownership and treating that business owner like a partner and they can go and they can find that mentor that is the right match for them, both professionally and in the way that they mentor and the way that they uh, support that organization. So I think that uh, giving as much agency to the people in your group and the clients that you work with to make their own decisions, own own, uh, own their own future has been and continues to be a learning for us. And I think it's one of the one of the strengths that we're that we're bringing to the Southland. Um, I am a team lead with RLG. I can be reached through RLG International at R R O W L A N D. That's a double R O W L A N D at rlginternational.com. dot And uh, I am continuing with Bo and his organization for another month before moving on. So. Um, I look forward to finishing strong and uh, leaving a lasting positive impression with them.
1: And and I would just tell everyone who's listening, RLG is is worth every penny of the investment that you would make in their help. So um, that's my commercial on behalf of RLG.
2: (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Bo, thank you. And Rick, thank you, man. This is, I've been inspired today and this is not a topic to be honest that I think about a lot, but this idea of, improve partnerships between public and private uh, sectors to get more efficiency and effectiveness for the benefit of all is uh, how critical is that here as we sit in 2021 so thanks hopefully this is uh, picked up both by folks in the public and private sector and that we can do a better job around the country at driving that effectiveness that Bo so well articulated so Anyhow, thank you again, gentlemen, for your time. I really appreciate this. And uh, I'll just close off and and hopefully people will uh, take some action from this on trying to help uh, public sector effectiveness and private sector efficiency. This has been another CI for Life podcast. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.